number 12 of the Antenu Energy Transition podcast. Today on why and how engaging the youth for the energy transition is so important with the Executive Director of Student Energy, Meredith Adler. Every year, the Antenu Energy Transition Initiative organizes the Antenu Energy Transition Conference as a major conference on energy transition topics in Trondheim, Norway. Since we want and we need to empower the youth to get this energy transition accelerated, we want to bring young Norwegian professionals together who work in companies, municipalities and research organizations in order to build a network to inspire one another and learn from each other. So if you are Norwegian or if you're working in Norway on energy related topics, then please check out the link in the show notes to sign up. The workshop or slash meeting will take place on the 1st of April between 10 and 12 o'clock. And I would love to have you there to meet another, inspire one another and to obviously also just learn from, from each other. Thanks, and uh, now let's get started with this episode with Meredith. There's a huge opportunity to have a generation of people who just naturally gravitate towards this, but you need to engage them and make them feel empowered by the topic. All right, let's get started. Hi, Meredith. Thanks for joining in for this podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Tell me, where are you right now, Meredith? I'm in Squamish, British Columbia in Canada, so just north of Vancouver, uh, between Vancouver and Whistler for those who, who are skiers in the area. All right, all right. And it's late afternoon here in Europe, in Norway, and it's quite early in the morning. And I almost had a bad feeling of getting you up so early to have a meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning. And then you told me, what did you tell me? I start my days at 5 a.m. I, uh, <laughs> I <laughs> Yeah, part of trying to run a global organization is that uh, there's a big bias towards the European time zone. And so I have just adapted accordingly. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what a job getting up at five o'clock for the first meetings. Yeah, but okay. And then when you told me that I didn't have a, a negative feeling anymore. I was like, okay, that's that's just how she rolls. So <laughs> thanks for joining me today, Meredith, on this podcast. Really cool. Um, we got to know each other some years ago where, um, with an organization that's called Student Energy. And you are, what what are you to Student Energy? I'm the executive director of Student Energy, so I run the global organization and manage all of our staff. Cool. And what 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 is Student Energy? Give me a little bit of an idea. Like, why was it founded? Why do you love? Why do you run it? Uh, even after seven years, just give me some context here and the audience, obviously. Yeah. So, Student Energy, we're a global organization working to create the next generation of energy leaders who will accelerate our transition to a sustainable energy future. So that's the big picture of what we're doing. But I think where Student Energy came from is actually a, maybe a more interesting story than that because student energy actually started back in 2008, 2009 in Calgary, Alberta with a group of students who were actually working in the oil and gas industry and going to school there, but really wanting to talk about climate change and sustainability. And at that point in time, you just really didn't do that as much in Calgary. I think um, for context, I joined the organization in 2015 and it was then that we were having a meeting in Calgary and somebody was like, yeah, it's super exciting. You can now say the words climate change regularly. And so that was, you know, six years after the first summit. But that first summit brought together 350 students from 40 different countries. And the idea was really just to flip the script to make it so that young people were um, the ones who were able to ask the questions and lead the conversation and work with world energy leaders at the time. 
And that ended up being just a really inspiring and empowering experience for all the youth who attended. And so Student Energy initially started to keep these spaces open where young people could keep driving these conversations. But um, we've gone on and evolved uh, quite a bit since then. So like I said, I joined in 2015 and we were still doing the summits then. The summits continue now, um, but we've evolved to basically offer a full suite of programming, which is everything from what is a solar panel all the way through to launching your career or launching your first business. So we we run six different programs now that do that. And then we work a lot with governments, companies, organizations on what does it mean to do meaningful youth engagement and what benefit does that have when you're working on the energy transition? Yeah, it's crazy because I joined Student Energy, full disclosure here in 2013. And this was actually the first time I was in Norway. So it was like being here meeting all these very motivated people gave me so much more motivation to actually continue a career in, in sustainable energy and i think one reason why i'm doing this now is also because i was socialized with the student energy people that is such an important topic or i knew it was an important topic but i feel or i felt that student energy gave me hope that there's other people who are working on the same topic or that they're driven by the same motivations and that's why I love this organization and that's why I'm also really happy to have you here on board now. Yeah I mean it's such a big part of it is just the people you meet and the people you get to work with and then getting that experience young is is transformative for a lot of people. I mean you're a great example. I mean we've had people who literally quit on the path to becoming a neurosurgeon to switch all the way to energy just because they were so inspired by the summit and I think it's really cool to keep those summits going and those are still youth-led people from around the world bid to host them and put together organizing committees for it um, but then it's also been really great to take that model of youth empowerment and training and coaching and download it to the community level and see what young people are doing now um, around the world in their communities yeah yeah no it's really cool um you said when you introduced student energy two minutes ago you said you want to or the aim of the organization is to support the next generation of energy leaders um, and the, today's episode's name is uh, why and how to include the youth in the energy transition so why is that goal the goal of student energy and why is it imp an important goal to reach and why is it important to actually include young people in the energy transition There are so many reasons for this, so sorry if I, I get a little scattered talking about it. But um, No worries, the thing is my, my, my producer told me to not ask too many questions in one go and I just did the same thing again. He told me <laughs> yesterday. Anyway, so just go for it and then I'll, I'll, I'll come back. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, I mean, I think, um, so in including youth in the energy transition is important for a lot of different reasons. But the big one is that It's really how you future-proof the work that we're doing on climate and energy. And what I mean by that is that um, often we're looking at energy policy or energy technology in a really limited fashion in that we're looking at, okay, let's get a carbon price passed um, in this country or in this jurisdiction. And then it's, you know, people write reports, they lobby government, it's this like quick fight. But then obviously that can also go back basically like you can end up um losing that if you don't have the people to deploy it or if you don't have the um you know voter base to keep advocating for it and so really what engaging youth does is make sure that first of all when you're looking at voters and consumers there's a huge opportunity to have a generation of people who just naturally gravitate towards this, but you need to engage them and make them feel empowered by the topic. And so there's a huge opportunity to do that. Neuroscience actually has shown us that 
positive engagement with a topic before you're 25 kind of means that you will be in <laughs> like engaged with that topic for the rest of your life. Um, and so a lot of people use this in branding and marketing, but there's a huge opportunity to do it with youth and climate and voting. Um, so that's kind of the social angle of it. On a skills development angle, I think a huge op- a huge issue that we're running up against now in the sustainability world is an issue of deployment. I think there is still new tech to be developed, but in, in terms of actually being able to get energy projects up and going, implementing the technology we have at the scale at which it could be implemented, a lot of the skill sets that you need to get these projects going um, you know, get through regulations. A lot of them are community building skill sets, but a lot of them also have to do with kind of systems thinking and greater problem solving. And you see it all over the world right now. Companies are really struggling to find these people with this energy transition skill set. And so training people up young is a huge opportunity to basically make sure that they are are getting things to happen for their whole life. And I think intergenerational collaboration is also a big one. A lot of the knowledge of how to run our energy systems is currently within senior levels of different companies or organizations. And most of those people are really close to retirement. And so we need to be doing that knowledge transfer and ideally giving people a longer period of time to work with that. Um, And then I think the final thing to note is that People often overlook this, but the average age of the world is under 30. It's something like 29. And then um, a lot of the countries where you have energy access issues, um, the average age is something closer to 24 or 25 years old. And whereas the people that we're looking to to solve those challenges are not in that age range. And so if we don't start trusting young people with the funding and the opportunity to build these skills, you're really fundamentally leaving out all of the folks that you're trying to serve within the energy transition and honestly our greatest stakeholders when it comes to the energy transition and climate change. Yeah. Uh, there's so much stuff that you actually just said. And um, wh- one thing that directly resonated with me is this, this, this notion of scars uh, like that we just don't have the people right now to actually um, accelerate the diffusion of many of these technologies and um, and that we see that here in Norway and in Germany every day it's like uh, for example in Germany there has been a lot of focus so far on the diffusion of electricity technologies like wind and solar but now we see okay we actually have to really do something with the building stocks with all the buildings and there's just not enough people who could actually do that um, so 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 training these people and get them get them to be motivated because only if you're motivated you're really good at what you do um, I think it's, it's just yeah super key and I'm, I'm Really happy that, that you guys do that uh, at Student Energy. Um, when we when we talk about um, getting the youth, you said it's good to get people involved before the age of 25 because then they're probably yeah still in in, the, in this phase of learning and the phase of orienting themselves. How does Student Energy do that, and how can other organizations learn from Student Energy? So. You know, we're not just talking about like student energies, I would call it an impact organization or an NGO, you know, but there's there's many other intermediaries who maybe have the same um, same aim, but don't know how to do that. And also there's a lot of really cool renewable energy technology companies that want to do the same thing, but they maybe also don't really know how. So from your perspective as yeah, the, the, the one of the heads of student energy, how, how do you do that? And what can other organizations learn from youth engagement from student energy? 
Yeah. I mean, so right now we really benefit from our, our large network, which goes back to having built it since 2009. So we have about 50,000 students from 120 different countries who are part of student energy and part of our network right now. And the big benefit from that is that we have a lot of peer-to-peer engagement. So we have chapters, um, fellows, other people around the world who are literally out there every day talking about energy and being excited about it. And I think that's something that can't be overlooked. Um, Often people are thinking about social media when they think about youth and all of those different pieces. And yes, young people are on TikTok and and all of that. But ultimately, in the media landscape that they exist in, there's so much content coming at them that really it's actually the things that they hear about from their friends, from their peers that are are really exciting to them. And so I think that's a big piece is, is, is basically designing programs and structures so that individuals are getting excited. And then we really focus on tangible learning opportunities. So project-based learning. And part of that is it really gives people something to talk about, something to rally others around. And it's really how you go and 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 build the networks and, and engender that natural human motivation. Because often people are looking at um, you know, how it was done in the past or what have you. And that doesn't totally work when young people have so many options. What you really need to be getting at is how do you empower them to take action using a toolkit that you have and then what does that look like um, to get them to engage engage others so that's a big tactic we use I think the other thing to really know especially for renewable energy companies is that for young people despite the fact that there's all these job openings and all this need for deployment um getting a job in clean energy is still a big black box often. I talk to so many people who are talented, way more talented than I ever have been or probably will be, who are like, oh, I just don't even know where to look. And and it's true. The recruitment in like HR systems of renewable energy, of clean tech, by and large are not there like they have been for other industries in the past. A lot of it is we're dealing with smaller companies or companies that feel more resource-strapped or honestly, you know, renewable energies have been, you know, the good guys are like fighting the fight for so long that they haven't necessarily put the time into human resources and scaling up and training that we have had seen from other industries. And so I think there is a huge need on the behalf of industry and governments to do a better push into how do we actually create concrete and scalable pathways for people to get into these careers. Mm, that's an interesting thought, actually. Um, you know, I run this other podcast in German and there we also, we get so many, we get quite a few of emails of people who listen to this podcast, but then say, okay, I don't even know where to apply or I don't even know which companies have job openings. And on the other hand, you have all these companies who are really frustrated in not being able to find the right ones with the right motivation. So I think, yeah, it's really valuable what you say here and, um, and maybe... Maybe maybe these kind of companies and organizations and government agencies, yeah, need to maybe step up their game as well, isn't it? Like HR or like human. I'm not sure. I really like this word, your human resources, because it's humans, it's it's people, it's not resources. But um, it's like there is so much knowledge around and has been around for the in the last decade. So that actually shouldn't be that should be doable, I, I, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean it's definitely something we're working on. We're launching our career training this year, actually, which is all practicum project based, all about connecting people up with companies. But I think. This is something we're hearing time and time again is everyone's looking for this generalist who understands climate, energy, sustainability, and can come in and plug these things in. But I think 
um, you know, there needs to be a big emphasis on training and how do we upskill people. And I think universities are also a bit behind in terms of a lot of professors in the field don't necessarily know what it looks like to get a job outside of academia. And so there, um, you know, it's a gap we're definitely working to fill, but others um, can play a big role as well in terms of how do we, you know, um, how do we make these scalable systems? And I think for me, a big takeaway, and you might resonate with this, is a lot of the people you talk to in clean energy and sustainability right now have some crazy job story. They started out working on like zoology and then it pivoted into this and all of a sudden they're a solar developer. And while those stories are fun to tell, if they're not easily replicable, it means that you can't scale it. And I think that's where we're at right now in terms of energy and careers. You said that you do, like Student Energy does a lot of projects, obviously not just in Canada, but also in the States, but also you work a lot with European partners. Um, when you when you would compare these different continents um, on, yeah, on a global scale, where do you have the feeling where there's a lot of work being done on youth development and youth empowerment so far? And where do you have the feeling that there is just like a desert of that, like where it's really not happening and where, which countries or which organizations, and we don't want to blackmail or may, uh, like blame anyone, but like, where is the most work that, where, where, where does this work need to be done the most? That's a great question. I mean, I think the greatest interest in this work right now is actually coming from some of our European partners. Um, Denmark, for instance, has been such a champion of our work in terms of, of recognizing the need uh, to, to get young people engaged. Um, and they were our first partner on our solutions movement, which is Student Energy's new goal to launch 10,000 youth-led projects by 2030 in an, in an effort really to fill this skills gap and fill this deployment gap. Um, so, so we're seeing interest there within Europe for sure. I think um, lots of people right now are talking about youth. It's hard to find a politician or a head of a company that doesn't say that young people aren't important. Nobody disagrees with that statement, I think. But then the action part, I think, is is what's the challenge. Um, I mean, I see it's hard to say where the need is because the need is super prevalent almost everywhere. But I would say in terms of demand of application numbers, things like that, um, we have you know, thousands of young people on a waiting list at any point in time to join student energies programs right now. And just being able to scale up and meet that demand is, is such a challenge. Um, but I would say, especially um, across the African continent, Southeast Asia, Latin America, there are so many talented young people just ready for those opportunities. And it's also where we need to be deploying a lot of technology. And so that's where I see the biggest mismatch at this point. Um, but also, I mean, within North America, Europe, there's a lot more opportunities to be engaging youth and especially youth who typically have been excluded from this type of work. Um, you know, in North America, you see that with communities of color, with indigenous communities. Um, but, um, and you know, you can probably speak better to the European context, but the equity of opportunity to get into this is not, is not where it needs to be globally or locally. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that's the, that's the big one that I'm seeing. Yeah, obviously, if I wouldn't have come from a well-funded family, I could not have gone to Trondheim just like that, you know, fly there, meet the people, get engaged and come back. <laughs> and that I guess that's like, yeah, you need the you need the financial um, resources really to yeah to have people give people the opportunity to actually engage and come to these meetings. Because um, now we, we are living in these times of Corona and the pandemic, and you were just suggesting some minutes before that a lot of 
good work comes out of youth-led projects or like when people really get engaged with is and have to find a solution together how does how how is this getting harder in times of corona because i feel that um that also a summit where 400 or 500 or 600 people meet is a different thing when you do it online or if you do it offline. And I think everyone has the same challenges there. And I know we've talked about the pandemic all the time and it's already going on our nerves big time, but really like how does that influence the work of student energy and what, like what could sensible systems and projects look like that are yeah run offline? Yeah. Uh, online. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I think we had the, I don't know if you call it lucky, but we had the circumstance before the pandemic where we, you know, it's, it's actually an interesting thing with funders in the energy space is it's hard to get funders to kind of trust youth. I think that's, that's one of the core challenges in terms of like, how do you create this equity in the system? And so we were always dealing with fewer resources than any other group. So while other groups were running primarily on conferences or primarily on, um, you know, meetings where you would fly and get everyone together. We never had the budget for that before Corona. So we were always operating virtually with the exception of the International Student Energy Summit, which happens every two years. And so I think for us, you know, our fellowship that we run um, is actually two years old. It's going into our, its third cohort. It's never run without the pandemic happening. Um, but we've still seen, you know, between 60 and 100 youth energy projects deployed through that every single year. And so I think for us, what's been amazing about Corona is just the resiliency and the adaptability of young people. We've had so many people remain engaged despite everything else that's going on in their lives. Um, I think that um, what is hard is not being able to have the summit and that big community building piece. But what we are seeing is young people are still reaching out, getting together globally. Um, you know, some of our teams early in the pandemic ran, I think, a 14-chapter webinar <laughs> across the entire world. I don't know exactly how that worked out, to be honest. Um, so, um, but that need for connection is very, very prevalent. Um, but young people have been incredibly resilient through Corona. But I think the resilience is starting to patter out. I think people do need more opportunities now to get back together and have those in-person resources. But um And, and really to like make the most of these opportunities they're so hungry for. You you talked several times about these youth-led projects and I, I know my last question already went on to them, but like one more follow-up on that. If I would be here in Trondheim or in any other city, how how would such a youth-led project look like? And how can I, you know, how like what kind of project would you suggest to get started? Because I'm, I think there's probably 30 million things that you can do in every city or in every village or in every town, whatever. But like how... How do people, how do you, how do you find sensible projects that you can do with young folks in the place where you live just to get the deployment accelerated? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, for us, we run on what I call a youth empowerment model, meaning that we don't necessarily dictate the projects people are taking on, but rather we teach people strategic planning, how to decide what it is that they want to learn or they want to do, and then how to organize a project around that idea. Um, and so, um, so it looks totally different in different places. Some places, um, people have decided that their campus should have more electric vehicles. And the first step in doing that is essentially, you know, becoming little lobbyists and writing a report on electric vehicles and how much money would save the university and then like trying to talk to the university about it. So we've seen things like that. Other places, it is more kind of concrete deployment projects. So like um, one of our alumni um, and now board members, actually Brian Kakembo, came to our summit in 2015 
um, and he was a business student from Uganda. He uh, he was learning about energy really for the first time and got really engaged, I think similar to yourself, and uh, you know, went up to a speaker and was like, well, what can I do in Uganda? I'm a business student. I don't know what to do. And I think the speaker fairly flippantly said to him, like, well, you're in Uganda. There's like waste everywhere. Why don't you try a waste energy thing? And he was like, oh, okay. And actually, but then actually did go home and started talking to people about this idea, got with his engineering faculty and actually ended up designing a clean burning briquette made from literally street trash. And now he has 200 youth who work for him picking waste, developing these briquettes and about 2,000 customers in Uganda now who who use this technology. And so that's an opportunity that was in front of him and his community. So it's really all about like what puzzle pieces do you have in front of you? And that's what we're trying to teach people is how do you put those things together? Because your challenges in Norway and his challenges in Uganda are nothing alike, but the ability to kind of figure out your resource, network, work with people, develop something um, really can get everything off the ground so quickly. Cool. No, that's a really cool uh, case study, if you will. <laughs> that's nice. When we think now about, we, we talked about that it's really important that youth, youth empowerment takes place everywhere. And you said that everyone is talking about it. So some something might be happening, but it's just not yet happening. So, But coming a bit more like looking to this, the future now, where, what do you think is gonna happen in the next let's say five to ten years with student engagement and how can how, how can governments and maybe also student energy how 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 what kind of support do you need how what kind of support does student energy need but also what kind of support do maybe other local intermediaries need um from governments from other organizations from from industry um to to yeah to get student engagement and youth engagement and youth empowerment really really on the road and get it get get it going I mean, my core takeaway to this is actually to take young people seriously, not just to be talking about it. And what I mean by that is often you'll hear, you know, one young person, um, you know, Greta will be invited to speak somewhere and that counts as their youth engagement or what have you. But then when you look at the budget of a government or a climate innovation fund or anything like that, there's nothing for young people or they'll have something like, you know, I literally talked to a fund recently who had $15 million for climate solutions and $100,000 for youth engagement. And so those are often the proportions you're seeing. And so what we're really advocating for um, is people actually starting to look at their budgets, look at their policies and say, you know, are we devoting at least 10% of this to young people, at least 10% of whatever we're doing on climate to young people. And it's not necessarily always just saying there's going to be a million young entrepreneurs and we're going to fund them all. Sometimes it's about taking on the right amount of interns to your project or other pieces like that, but really looking at that 10% for youth piece and what student energy is working to do And we've just um, done an energy compact with UN Energy and Sustainable Energy for All and UNDP um, is is launch our solutions movement, which is the goal of having 10,000 youth-led energy projects um, that are ideally funded um, launched by 2030. And for us, you know, we're definitely looking for governments to support that and we're looking for other organizations to support it. But the big goal there is that we need to be providing more young people the opportunity that Brian Kikimbo have had and others to really start implementing solutions. And it's, it is about creating more entrepreneurs and people who can deploy projects in the right places. But it's also about creating employees and others 
who will build their careers and really have this accelerated skill set. And you can't get to that point. You can't get to that point of being this like Swiss army knife of a person who can solve all these problems at the age of 30, unless somebody, when you were 22 said, Hey, I believe in you. It's, you know, here's $5,000. Let's teach you how to run a budget. Let's teach you how to do these different things. Because so often we're just not expecting anything from youth. We're not expecting their projects to work out. We're not expecting them to do anything meaningful. And when there's such low expectations of you and you're not trusted with the resources that everyone else is trusted with, you can't like, where's it going to come from? Yeah. So, um, so that's really, (laughs) that's my key takeaway is like, is like, if you want to talk about young people, have a budget line item <laughs> like start taking this seriously <laughs> yeah and maybe give meredith a call and see how, how this can be integrated yeah and if you need energy. help spending that budget line item i'm available this is a commercial block now <laughs> <laughs> no i'm sure i'm sure there's other organizations like student energy that also does that do you have like some names that just pop into your head like um like that people who might be listening to this podcast right now and want to do something like that um and student energy is far away i don't know is there any other organizations that pop into your head oh man there's so many brilliant organizations that are youth-led right now um but in europe for sure the european youth energy network is doing amazing work working on careers and supporting young professionals um they're definitely coming to mind for me there's um um Irina is working on different youth pieces as well within renewable energy. Um, and then there's definitely a ton of different topic-based ones, but Youth Climate Lab um, is working on social entrepreneurship within our social innovation really within youth and um, Youth for Nature as well is working on nature preservation globally on a similar model to student energy. So I'm also happy to provide names of that, but there's lots of young people who are working on this. I think a challenge can be in the space is, you know, because it can be such an uphill battle to start an organization and then also to do it as young people and potentially those without the connections that others have. Unfortunately, youth organizations don't always last that long, but the ones that I've named definitely have some staying power and have um, good, good reputations. And I think there's a lot that we can do to make sure that youth organizations are better resourced and better able to, to um, you know, serve their communities in the long term as well. Yeah. All right, Meredith, we're coming a bit to an end. So I've got two more questions. So first question is, where do you see Student Energy in 2025 and 2030? And I know you're going to talk about youth-led projects, but like, so what's what's the long, what's the vision in the next, what's happening in the next years? Yeah, so I think, uh, so where do I see it? So I think a big goal for us um, is to expand our regional presence. So ideally with regional hubs on each continent, um, deploying the model, I think in terms of, you know, getting these youth projects off the ground. Um, and then I think for us, we really want to continue concretely channeling young people into these energy careers. And, and I think, um, and I think be really seriously working with corporate and government partners kind of hand in hand on, on intergenerational collaboration and on forming these networks that support the next generation. So I think for us, um, that's a big, that'll be a big piece. Um, and then I would say what will be different beyond the youth-led projects um, is we are really starting to build out um, youth-led research. So we just released our Global Youth Energy Outlook that worked with about 42,000 youth on, on what do they want from the future of energy. Uh, so, so projects like that, I think unpacking and demystifying how to work with youth is another thing that... I hope we'll really nail. And then, um, yeah, by 2030, having launched on top of all of that, having launched or helped to launch 10,000 youth-led projects is, is the goal. 
No, yeah, super cool. No, I like your, I really love your your energy, Meredith. And I think you know you gotta you gotta have a crazy vision because if you know if they if they say it's crazy if they, if they don't say it's crazy then it's not big enough, I guess. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I've I, yeah I've experienced how you and the student NG work in the last years and with Kaylee and Sean who are also co-founders is like working work creating something from nothing and um, and I think you you guys have been really good at that um, so I, always always when I go on the webpage I'm I'm really happy um, to be part of that and I wish you all the best for um, for the future and the uh, and the and the development obviously and obviously call me if if there's anything I can help from Norway so the last question is how can people find you and how can people find student energy. Yeah, so uh, people can find Student Energy at studentenergy.org. Uh, we're pretty easy to find. And then Twitter, Instagram, all of the other handles, Student Energy is is, is the main one. Um, and, and I'm also pretty easy to find, just Meredith Adler on, on almost every channel. So um, yeah, happy to connect with people and reach out. And um, I love talking about this, obviously, uh, and give advice on on what is a good youth engagement strategy look like going forward and how do we, how do we meaningfully work with young people and, and make that happen super cool that's yeah that's cool and i'm gonna put all these links as well to the student energy how did you call this outlook student energy outlook no student youth energy engagement outlook. um global youth energy outlook sorry but you can find that one at studentenergyoutlook.org so yeah i'm gonna put it into the show notes and i'm also gonna put student energy links and your links obviously in the show notes so thanks meredith for yeah for coming around for this session uh, i hope you don't have too many crazy other meetings but since you're working already since five o'clock in the morning um thanks for coming around and all the best to you and student energy That was great. Thanks so much, Julius. Hey, folks, that's it for this episode of the Antinu Energy Transition podcast today with Meredith Adler. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for engaging with the podcast. Please make sure if you are Norwegian or if you work in Norway on energy-related topics, please check out the link in the show notes to join us for our conference uh, workshop slash meeting on the 1st of April between 10 and 12 uh, to meet each other, learn from in from in learn from another and to inspire one another looking forward to have you in that workshop take care and uh, all the best to you bye